Now we're recording. You're welcome to call the meeting to work. Okay. Good evening, everyone. Um, so we're going to call the meeting to order at 5.34. Um, So one of the things we'll have to clarify, so it's a nomination uh, that will be followed by the election, which is set to take place uh, during the December May. But I do want to write, remind the board, uh, per Article 14, Section 2 of our bylaws, uh, the board is required to nominate two candidates. One candidate as for the president, for the chair of the board, and then the other one for the vice chair of the board. Uh, the reason why we're not nominating a uh, chair during this meeting is because during the, our first meeting, which was set in June 2019 of this year, we elected to uh, bring in Lucia as the chair for six months with the understanding that during the December meeting, we're gonna have another discussion to identify, you know, either whether Lucia wanted to serve and will be elected as a chair or another individual that may want to be nominated to set. So for the purposes of these meetings, what we need from the, uh, Board is to uh, you know nominate or anyone can self-nominate for the board uh, vice chair position with the understanding that you know you'll consider those individuals that have presented their candidacy for the uh, VP of chair or uh, yeah vice president vice chair uh, and then at the following meeting then you know by majority vote they will be elected he or she will be elected to serve as the uh, vice chair of the board. So again, for the purposes of today's meeting, we just need, you know, some nominations. You can self-nominate, or, uh, you know, the board can uh, elect a few individuals and nominate them, and then we'll discuss this back on December. So with that, do we have? Is anyone interested in nominating themselves for the vice chair position? Okay. Anyone else? Um, so 
you have to add it today or? So yeah, the nominations ideally we won't establish them today so that this will give the board members an opportunity to think about, you know, the individuals that have nominated themselves or has been nominated for the position. But with the understanding that, you know, they will be elected at the next meeting during the December meeting. Well, that's it's yeah, yeah. it's up to we'll see if she I wants mean, I'd, to. I'd like a state chair, but you know. Yeah, <laughs> My only concern is that since I'm coming from another job, so I may not be here on time. So that's my only setback. Well, what I'll say to that is, is that well, you know, as long as you attend the meeting, I mean, you're more than welcome to nominate yourself. Um, you know. The purpose of the uh, vice chair is to essentially take the place of the chair when the chair, you know, is unavailable mm -hmm. as other matters. So, but then again, you know, if, if you want to nominate yourself, you're more than welcome to. And you can do it with the understanding for the rest of the board members that there's going to be instances where you're going to be running late. And, yeah, I mean, if that's acceptable, then I'll be happy to nominate myself. Okay. <laughs> Anyone else? All right, well, now the board has some homework, so now you have to think about the, you know, the candidates that have nominated themselves for the uh, vice chair position, and again, I'll repeat those names, and it will be member Nick Mia, founder uh, Eric Murphy, and member Derek Sarko. So. Would there be, would it be appropriate to have them say anything about why they would want the position? Sure, absolutely. I mean, the, the floor is yours. That debate? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's enough of that happening. <laughs> <laughs> it just helps the, the members when they're making their decision, right, to have something to go off of besides their self-nomination. You are more than welcome to <laughs> not feel pressure. <laughs> no pressure, uh, okay. Well, uh, <clears throat> reason why I'm uh, one here on the board homeless and I have uh, a lot of uh, uh, empathy for the homeless folks uh, since uh, a lot of them know me from the streets I know them I know their circumstances uh, and, I, and I know how <coughs> our society really ignores them and so they're really the, the folks without a voice without uh, real uh, assistance. And so that's why I came onto the board to help folks out there on, on the, uh, in the field. And I was actually in the field today with the, uh, the closure of uh, East 12. So I've been there since eight this morning and I'll be back there tomorrow morning at eight. It's another day of uh, Oakland squashing the, the structured homes over there and forcing people to live in tents. I don't have a, um, 
Uh, I'm just nominating myself because I like to be um, available to help co-chair, and I do have some familiarity with the process <laughs> so I would just like to be as helpful as possible in effective decision making for an issue that I'm very passionate about and have a strong uh, interest in seeing people who are without a home uh, at least get proper health care and I'd like to make healthy possible good decisions as we can in that respect and, and I have a background in as well as health for a number of years, and I would hope that that can come in handy whenever co-chair meets. Thank you. All right. Rebelling against the last thing I'll say, just remember we'll be electing uh, the vice chair during the December meeting. That will be the first item of the agenda as required by our report. is responsible for item D, okay. ad hoc committee report. Oh, which is on C. Uh, it was C. No, that was C. Oh, okay. Um, so we'll move to, yeah, Dan. Great. Hi, thanks everyone. Uh, so we, as Heather had mentioned, that we would be electing or interviewing a medical director to, to do the, is it the partner position to your to Heather's position, and so Heather informed me that we have two candidates for a medical director that are soon to be interviewed, and for the ad hoc committee that was formed a few months ago, we uh, need to come together and nominate one person, or select one person who can be at the two different interviews, and one of them is scheduled for this month, November 22nd. The other one should be scheduled shortly, we do uh, want the process to move as quickly as we can, so we that position. Uh, so at some point today, maybe the ad hoc committee can get together and decide on somebody who can be there at, at both meetings. We would prefer somebody who can be at both meetings so that they can you know, bring the information that they gather to the rest of the committee, which will then uh, give its recommendation. interviews are completed, the committee could follow up with a phone interview or an in-person interview with the top candidate. So it's everything. Yeah, so it's something we should put together. Maybe at a great time today. I think that's it. One thing that I do want to, want to point is that, you know, just a reminder that the purpose of the ad hoc committee is to, again, you know, participate in the interview process and thereafter make a recommendation to the rest of the board and ultimately it is the board that will get to decide, you know, which tour, how many candidates to interview, uh, get hired for the particular position. Okay. Well, how do you know the dates that they didn't use yet? Or 
Yeah, so we know the first one, November 22nd at 10.30 a.m. Mm -hmm. The second one is not scheduled. Here? Yeah. And just to clarify, the board will, will approve the hiring of the candidate that they recommend. The full board will approve the hiring. And the Alameda Health System also is a partner in that hiring because the physician works for Alameda Health System as well. So. So when the, the candidate comes, you're, you're not gonna be choosing between two candidates. You're going to, the, the board will recommend this one and then you will say either yes or no to their recommendation. You'll approve or not approve their recommendation. So it's not like, because you, you will have met them, but the, the committee will have met both candidates or will have met the candidate and determined whether or not they think it's an appropriate candidate. And one member of the committee will have interviewed both of them and been part of that committee that includes Alameda Health System staff members on it. So the, the group recommendation, and you approve it, or not, as you see fit. You should have the resumes and the job description available soon. Yeah, I'll, I'll send forward that. Program director report. This is just our standard monthly check-in on what's happening with our homeless health center, keeping it brief. So we've come. Uh, what are some of our primary things that we think about our health center compliance? We've completed our four quarterly monitoring visits, and one of them is actually not quite completed. Will be completed at the end of today, I think, because it's being wrapped up with a short discussion with Lucia. Because this past meeting. Uh, quarterly monitoring meeting was about board and governance primarily. Um, at right now, there are no compliance issues, um, but we haven't gotten the report from the final meeting because that hasn't quite wrapped up yet. So um, probably next month or the following, we would know if there are any compliance things that need to be fixed. So Mobile Health had its first full month back on the road and uh, they met with 88 patients, or there were 88 patient encounters, um, which is really exciting because it's double what we were doing when we were, when we were doing black bag. We were doing black bag for a little over a year while the staff was transitioning um, from Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program to Alameda Health System, thank you. And that staff was transitioning partially because initially it was initiated by the retiring retirement of um, the driver from Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program. So we initiated some changes. So now we are doing it all with an Alameda Health System team. One of the changes that we implemented, I talked to you about last time, was that we have evening clinics. We have an evening clinic three Mondays per month. Two of them are at City Team, and one of them is in Alameda at, um, they have a a Dine and Connect event that's sponsored by the City of Alameda and Building Futures, which is a, a organization that serves people experiencing homelessness. And all three of those evening clinics have been extremely robust. Um, a lot of patients in attendance and wanting services, a lot of enthusiasm and excitement for the uh, service being available at that time. Prior to that, we were limited to run the mobile clinic from 9 to about 4 o'clock in the evening because of restrictions on staff time. 
That's one of the reasons we wanted to make the change to Alameda Health System staff so that we would have more flexibility with the schedule. Um, and so we have been able to do that and we've seen the benefits in the first month really clearly. Um, one of the other things, it is still a, a partnership, even though Alameda Health System is the staff on board, it's still a partnership with Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program. And it has been a very long time that the mobile unit has been half branded. It's been branded with Alameda Health System information, but not with Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program information. And the reason for that is also Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program was going through a transition of their logo and their name and who they're, the, how the leadership structure was working. And so they're in a position now where they're excited to finish up that branding and they designed it and it's, um, it's due to be wrapped. So, so pretty soon you'll see a, a van with no blank white sides. So we're very excited that it won't be. blank, it has it's a faded <laughs> print on the back. Yeah, because it's got, the old book got covered up and so it looks like there's random, it looks like it was just painted over with a thin coat of white paint. It, it, it doesn't look great. Uh, so we, we are excited about the branding happening. I, I'm just gonna leave it at, as soon. Uh, I'm not gonna make any promises. Um, unfortunately, sometimes that means that uh, they want to do it when we also want to provide services. So we're trying to work out the schedule so that we don't interrupt services to patients in order to put a picture on it. And so that's the negotiation that we're doing right now. Um, so data uh, in an integrated technology. Hey, we have your iPads in. We're distributing those today. That's exciting. Thank you so much. Um, we also have ordered new technology for the mobile unit. Um, it's got old equipment, and now that we're on Epic, we're discovering how the equipment is not always working as well as we want it to to serve patients, and so that's happening. Um, with Epic also, we have this ability to look at data differently, mm -hmm. and so we're doing what's called data validation. We've built out um, Epic so that it can pull data for our UDS report, that's our Uniform Data System report that is required every year. And now that we can see how it pulls in, we see where it's missing some information. So we're going through that process so that we can have a, again, what I'll call a robust and accurate representation of what we've put in. There's still the opportunity that maybe what we're putting in is not correct or accurate and that's different work, but right now we want to make sure that at least what we're putting in is going into the report so that we can see it and report on it. This year is going to be interesting with our data because <laughs> we've spent you know, nine months in our old systems and then a few months in our new system, but we need to report on the whole calendar year and so that's some work that we need to figure out um, how we're getting the data. Um, next year will be a full year on Epic, so that's pretty exciting. But we want um, at least these last three months of this year to be accurate, so we're trying to clean that up before January. Um, I've been reading some concerns around Epic and, and its user, um, <coughs> user friendliness in many ways, and wondering if it will have enough data for us to be able to use it reliably, given that providers find it challenging. I think I, I can, I will say, I will know more through this data validation process. Okay. I mean, one of the things that we've thought, Epic comes, so there's this, what's called foundation Epic. It comes with certain things ready to go, and then you have to map it to your own system. And so Epic came ready to deliver a UDS report, and then what we need to do is map it to say, 
get the information from this person and put it here, right? And so what we're finding right now is much of that is built, but some of it got missed, like a department isn't lined up. And then as they're looking into it, they're finding, oh, there's this checkbox that needs to be marked next to each provider that is a UDS provider, and that, that wasn't done, so now we have to go through and like go through the providers and check them all off. So long as we have, we already have the departments, we need to get those providers. So, so as far as getting that information, and as long, once it's mapped correctly, we'll be pulling from those places. The next challenge will be, will providers put information in the places we need it so that it feeds into the report? Because sometimes it's about what is the health condition, or you, which diagnosis code did you use, um, or um, did you check the box for this or that, or the other thing that then feeds into the UDS report. And there will likely be some education around, hey, use these codes. Um, or make sure you fill out this box so that we can, so that it feeds into the report. Um, the identification of people experiencing homelessness specifically is of course a thing that we're very interested in. And the way it's built right now, it's um, in the registration system. And that does connect. When the patient is registered and identified as homeless, it, it drops in and I'm able to see it. And so we know that that's built correctly. Um, one of the things though that, that isn't necessarily there though is that the provider can't see that that patient is, is a patient of the healthcare of the homeless health center. And so that's one of the things that we need to now, it's called optimization, making it better from what is foundation so that it works so that everybody can see what they need to see. And we expect that that will be done before the end of the year, um, but it might not be implemented until early next year. But we're in the planning phases right now to, to fix some of those issues that weren't in the foundation that need to be built special Every EPIC is different. So EPIC in San Francisco is different from EPIC in Alameda Health System is different from EPIC at Kaiser. Because each system has, it's like, are you gonna get the BMW? Are you gonna get the BMW with the special wheels and the special seats and the, all the special things? We, we got the, like, just the frame of the BMW. It didn't even have any wheels on it. <laughs> um, but the idea is, you know, we got a very, the, the basic model and other places may have gotten a heightened model, but then also customized so their workflows into how they are delivering care. Thank um, you. Yes. Two questions. Mm -hmm. um, why did uh, why was it um, opted? Uh, why did the hospital opt for the just the skeletal? Oh, money. money. Okay. It was expensive. Even the basic model was very expensive. It's still a Tesla, even though okay. it might not be the souped-up Tesla. And the second, it's very expensive. And the second question um, is kind of um, piggybacking on something you mentioned just as I came in um, about the idea of um, people knowing um, certain parameters of where patients go and so on. Um, uh, because you've got the skeletal model, can we not build into the model? Um, um, let's say, I don't, have, uh, I don't know what kind of word or description you would use, but um, build, build it in such a way that um, it almost be impossible to make a mistake in the sense that uh, it won't, if you go to a certain level, it won't let you go past yeah. a certain level because you've already made a mistake and you need to go back yes. and check your work. That way you don't get too far ahead of yourself. It does that. So um, in Epic, um, and maybe at some, during a meeting in the future, we'll be able to do a demonstration of what it might look like. 
Um, but there are lots of stop signs and lots of stops that, that wouldn't let you go any farther. So even the, the idea that the patient experiencing homelessness, it does not let you go any farther unless you, until you determine whether or not the patient is homeless. They cannot register the patient until the person who is registering them determines this patient is homeless or not homeless. So required up front, cannot move, won't go forward. Okay. Um, a lot of things that the providers are doing, they cannot move and they will not go forward unless those things are correctly checked. And some of the things that we talk about optimization are just things that, you know, Epic, Epic wasn't necessarily built for a safety net hospital. It wasn't built with people experiencing homelessness in mind, right? So, so they're not necessarily putting in screenings or opportunities to serve patients differently who are experiencing homelessness from the get-go, because that's, that's not who they built it for. But it's a good tool and we've decided to use it. And so we are making Epic better by, by showing them what we need for a safety net system. And we're doing it in a way that um, talks across the system. Um, we've identified that this, the people experiencing homelessness from inpatient to ambulatory care need to have a single place where we can all look, see, and feed that information up. But Epic wasn't built for that, and so we need to create it. And, and right now we are working, it's one of the beautiful things we see is that working together across the system to realize this is an important thing, we want to make sure we get it right, and we're all going to work together to do that. So it is the, yeah. And despite the fact that um, we're only using a skeletal model, and... It's not a skeleton anymore, it's definitely got meat on it. Well, maybe some low meat around it. Um, <laughs> um, and that other hospitals brought the B&W with the training walls, uh -huh. uh -huh. um, uh, that doesn't, um, that doesn't uh, proceed us from being able to communicate with, with other hospitals that have EPIC despite uh, what level they bought Correct. EPIC at, right? Correct, and so we do talk to them quite a bit and get their feedback on what they're doing. San Francisco went live on EPIC though only a few months before we did, and so what they've learned, they only learned a couple months before we did, and we already had to put it in place, which is why we have this time called optimization. Wow. I mean, they built what they thought they needed and, and put in all the parts that they needed and then they had to use it and then realize, oh, this is working or this isn't working. And so same for us. We could only copy what they had ready. And even what they had ready wasn't necessarily the best fit for us, you know, in some cases. Um, but it is, I, I do want to assure you that um, we are doing, there was a lot of training before Epic went live that people participated in. And currently in ambulatory care, which includes your homeless health center, where your providers live in the homeless health center in ambulatory care, um, there are twice weekly what we call lunch and learns for providers and other staff of ambulatory to continue to learn about Epic and how to use it and to find those places where, oh, we found this workflow, we want everybody to, just a reminder, when, before you use a system, you get training, then you use the system, you need more training to remember because there was so much to learn in, in launching this new system. So these, these twice weekly lunch and learns will go on for quite a bit of time and include all of the, the potential places where we want improvement. And so at some point there will be a lunch and learn once we build it around the people experiencing homelessness and how to document that in the right place in Epic so that everybody does it. And there will be monitoring, are you doing it? How is it working? Is it effective? Do we need to make any changes? And there are lots of other systems within EPIC and within uh, our standard work that also help us to identify patients experiencing homelessness and ways that providers can see it. So even though 
there's not necessarily a box that they see. When a patient's experiencing homelessness, their address shows it as homeless address, and that's something that is visible to a provider. So they can see that. It's just not as visible as we'd like it to be. So we're looking for additional opportunities, and we want them to be able to do an, a risk assessment for homelessness, um, and, and to do some work around the patient experiencing homelessness, be able to make referrals to different team members around that, and so provide care in response to the person experiencing homelessness, not just provide care in response to their diabetes or provide care in response to their hypertension. Mm -hmm. right? We want them to respond. That'll be in the future state where they're able to do that. Okay, Naya already mentioned a little bit about our interviews being scheduled. One's already scheduled, and um, and then also just uh, we had a well, there's a there was an annual meeting that the Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program sets up with all of the people that they work with and they gave us feedback around our using results-based accountability metrics and our patient engagement and it was a very positive report. So, limited if you want to know more about it, we can certainly provide that to you, but we're, we're completing our metrics, we're filling in our boxes, we're checking it out and uh, providing good service. The patient engagement metrics and the results-based accountability, accountability Accountability metrics are both specifically about mobile health care, not about the rest of the homeless health center, but specifically about mobile health. All right. I'm gonna move, unless there's any questions about E, I'm going to move on to F. So last month, we started our subrecipient agreement orientation. Remember, the subrecipient agreement is that document that makes us a subrecipient via pass-through funds from Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program. It gives us the ability to leverage a federally qualified health center status. With federally qualified health center status, we have the ability to leverage um, a different reimbursement rate for our Medi-Cal patients. In our um, subrecipient agreement, what we're doing now is going over what it looks like in 2019 because we're getting ready to do the 2020 because the subrecipient agreement is on a calendar year, because HRSA runs their program on a calendar year. Um, even though Alameda Health System's operations are more on a fiscal <coughs> year, this is when we went over our budget, we talked a little, bit, a little bit about how sometimes those things don't match up and can cause challenges and what we do to um, ameliorate those. So last month we talked about um, the compliance language required by HRSA. So in order for it to be a subrecipient agreement, it requires this language. And we went over that in detail, and I showed you where in the subrecipient agreement all of that language existed. And I point out is on this, it's right here in this paragraph, this is exactly what it says, that meets the requirement. Today, we're gonna go over number two. Look, there's also three and four. But today, number two, in the current subrecipient agreement, the way that it is, um, designed, part two really outlines all of the HRSA program requirements. We're required to meet HRSA program requirements, and this is like a reminder of what those HRSA program requirements are. And in some cases, the current document describes how we meet them. So, we're just gonna go through them 
Right now, this is pages four through nine of our subrecipient agreement with Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program. <coughs> what we want to be able to do in the 2020 agreement, some of this language might change, so we're kind of showing you what it looks like now and what some recommendations for changes might be. We want to make sure that as a board, you understand that a subrecipient agreement is an agreement to provide services that are part of the health center program, the HRSA health center program, it's an agreement. What we have in some cases in this document is more like a contract where we're told that it's a requirement to do this this way. We're concerned that some of that requirement language might usurp the authority of the board. And so some of our recommendations around it are gonna be around creating an agreement that Alameda Health System in partnership with Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program is delivering this scope of work to HRSA. And this is the part that we're delivering on their behalf and that we are responsible for it, we have the ability to direct it, and we have the ability to choose how to do it. And this is a change. Remember, before this, you didn't exist. And even the board, <laughs> the commission, you know, was only newly existing. And so, and so this is all part of that transition and it may be uncomfortable for some parts of the partnership, Alameda Health System and Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program included. Right? This is an agreement where the two organizations come together and agree, this is our agreement to deliver these services. We are mutually benefiting from this agreement. No one agency is benefiting more from this agreement. It's mutually beneficial. Alameda Health System is providing a significant amount of the scope and Alameda Health System gets a significant amount of benefit through the ability to leverage that reimbursement. And Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program gets to leverage also this large amount of service to leverage large amounts of funds to come into their program. And also this is the reminder that Alameda County and Alameda Health System is the safety net system for the county is invested in and needs to make sure that the health system doesn't fail their residents. This is one of the mechanisms that helps to prevent the failure of their health system. So it is mutually beneficial. Alameda County doesn't want us to fail and everybody benefits from this partnership and agreement. So we want it to be not quite so, you do this, you do that, no, we are doing this together. That's what I'm gonna, kind of guide you, I hope I get your agreement on, you're the board, you get to decide. You can say, no, you still want all this requirement language. It's up to you. So in the front, the needs assessment, it is required that Alameda Health System do a needs assessment via HRSA. And there are lots of ways that that can happen. One way that it happens is that we participate in the Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program needs assessment by providing them information because we're part of their greater health center. So we agree that that is a good way for Alameda Health System to, to both check the box and meet HRSA's requirement and help Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program meet their requirement to have a needs assessment. But I'm going to suggest that the language there could change from being AHS is required to participate to, for example, Alameda Health System agrees to participate because it is mutually beneficial for all parties. This is part of our agreement. It makes sense. It makes sense for you. It makes sense for us. We're in agreement. We're working together. Provision of required and additional health services. 
this really spells out the section of what are those health center services, and right here it, it um, <coughs> refers to uh, 5A. There's a document that we have from HRSA, it gets printed up directly from them, it says here are your services that you have said you are doing. There are many required ones, and then there are those additional services that we've asked to be included. Required services are generally primary care, pediatric care, women's services, a lot, mostly the primary care services. The additional services are things like neurology, endocrinology, all of our specialty services that we recently added. Um, and there's a large list of them. And so all of those are now on that 5A. And so this just reminds us that, hey, we agreed to these services. Mm -hmm. If we wanted to make a change to any of those services, it would need to be in agreement with Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program. And actually, when we want to add a service, they need to agree also that we can add it. Um, again, as the recipient, they're responsible for submitting it to HRSA on our behalf. And so there is a needs assessment that generally goes uh, hand in hand with identifying a new service we want to add. Um, but the ones that are on there include also dental, um, their behavioral health, um, David could probably name them off a lot more Substance easily. Substance <coughs> But they're, they're all in there. So this just says, Pediatrics. hey, by the way, they're the services you said you would do. Um, this next section about interpretation, this is required by HRSA <coughs> also that we provide access and interpretation to patients regardless of their language to limited um, English-speaking people. We do that. Alameda Health System does that. Um, uh, and that we provide guidance and training to staff members with respect to cultural sensitivities. We do that also. All of these things are things that Alameda Health System would do because they're required by HRSA and also because they'd be required by a lot of the other governing, uh, not governing, other agencies that monitor us, CMS, Joint Commission, which are all like best practices. So we might say something like, we can shorten this. These, some of these are, no, are like no-brainers. Of course, we would do this. It's a HRSA requirement. Um, and then at the bottom, uh, any required or additional services, if AHS decided that they were going to do, have somebody else do it for us, needs to be approved again by Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program. That's also a requirement. Under, under a different section of this, of this agreement. So one of the other things we're looking to do with this agreement is where there's repetition maybe, we only need to say it once instead of more than once. And just a question, um, is there a possibility of getting a copy of the scope of services form 5A? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I just asked David for a new one, so. Okay. He gets it from her son. I don't know. Oh, okay. Um, so clinical staffing, this is again, these are, uh, these are the, I've, I've talked before about the 19 program requirements of HRSA. Um, you'll notice it only goes up to 17, don't worry, we cover all 19. Some of them are embedded. So 17, we need to make sure that we have the appropriate staff to carry out the services that are on our scope of projects. We need to consider the health needs of patients experiencing homelessness to figure out that staffing. And um, the demonstrating our operating procedures and records 
through the review of credentialing. This is also language that's pretty typical for the HRSA program compliance manual. So a lot of what we do here is per the manual for HRSA says you have to do this. And this again is the reminder. It's in this document. That HRSA manual comes up back again. It's like lots of opportunities to know what to do. Well, in the compliance manual directly in this document. All the reminders are requirements. Can I, can I ask yeah. a quick question? Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned uh, that they might be, we want to make sure that both systems are working together. Are there any particular points in here that are contentious that we should pay special attention to? Not in, not in this is the HRSA requirements. Um, so, so like, so the one time where I noticed AHS is required to participate, that word required, that's where, where I say, I'd really like our language to be more in ag about agreement. And this, I, shall, we shall, that's fine, we shall, because we would, that's more agreeing language. So, so just really trying to shift this relationship towards a reminder that it's mutually beneficial, we are working together to accomplish a goal, we all agree what the goal is, and there's trust that we're doing our part as your subrecipient, and they then do it by monitoring us to make sure. There are also rules around whether or not conditions can exist within the document, um, and they can only exist if we're non-compliant. So some of this, there's nothing here that, that is like requiring us to do something special yet. If I see one that pops up, I'll point it out. But, um, but any language that says you must do this that is outside of her provisional language, I might say, you don't need that. You would do that if and when we were out of compliance. You would like require us to do something extra. And then it would only be able to last during that time of non-compliance. It needs to be temporary. And this is per the HRSA manual and the understanding of pass-through funds. Um, so there's our clinical staffing. Um, this accessible locations and hours of operations. We're gonna actually talk a lot about this today. This is also a HRSA requirement. The idea being, you need to provide services accessibly to patients. So you'll get to see what it, our hours look like <coughs> and through looking at them, you could as a group decide there would need to be more. Or, you know, or if we ever came to you and said we need to trim back on something, you would need to assess do we still meet accessible hours of operation by losing that time or by losing that day? Right? So you're going to be approving specifically the uh, locations and hours at the end of the meeting today. The HRSA requirement is that they are accessible. And it is for you to determine what accessible means. So again, this would be an idea if, if, um, if the county said it must be on this day and this day and this day and this day, that would overstep mm -hmm. their authority. They could only say it must be accessible. Have you determined that it's accessible? You determine whether it's accessible. Mm -hmm. They might make suggestions. Mm -hmm. They might say this is what it's accessible looks like to us. What does it look like to you? But but that's something they couldn't they couldn't dictate what the hours need to be. You you make that assessment. Um, this uh, coverage for medical emergency during and after hours, that's something that's required for HRSA as well. And this is the, this kind of talks a little bit more about how we do it. Um, the first line, maintain provisions for promptly responding to patient medical emergencies, it's kind of per the compliance manual. 
and B is more, this is one of the ways that we do it. We do it through this stuff. That's the how. Um, continuity of care and hospital admitting. This is again the first requirement. We need to show that we have continuity of care. Um, and again, A is all about what HRSA says we have to do. And then B is a little bit more about how we do it how it had been done before. This might be changing the how we do it. What does that look like? And so the question really, I mean, part of, part of what I'll add, um, you know, what might be in the agreement is how much the how needs to be in the agreement. Sometimes having the how in the agreement is really helpful because it reminds us of what we're doing and it kind of says, this is what we agree to do to meet this requirement, and so it's helpful to put it there. And in some places it just might be too much, right? We want to be able to change how we do it, and if it's in this document, it doesn't give us that flexibility. So those are some things to think about, right? Sliding scale fee discount program. Um, so this is a requirement as well, that we have a sliding scale fee discount program. And so in A, it kind of says that. And in B, it says a little bit more about HRSA regulations. And then also in this section it says, by the way, we're gonna provide some information for monitoring purposes to Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program. But I would suggest is that that move into monitoring, that's part of monitoring, so it doesn't become part of sliding scale fee discount program. That's more about how do you monitor what we do, not about that's, that doesn't belong here. So there's some suggestions like that that we're going to be making also to our, our partners who are mutually benefiting from the sub-recipient agreement. Well, David's in the room, so he's getting a preview. What section was that? Um, in B, beginning 6-1, 2019, okay. AHS will provide them with a quarterly list of homeless health center patients that have been charged fees. And I would suggest that that, that goes in their, that's part of their monitoring, what they're choosing to do for monitoring. Um, quality improvement. This is going to change significantly. Um, partially because this quality improvement and risk management plan, well some of it, okay, so there's, there's more than one section. We need to show that we have a quality management program. We do have that. It's part of a HRSA re requirement and it's also part of CMS. So many things require us to have that and we do have that. Um, and this just describes that A, very clear, it's just HRSA language, no questions there. Um, this then, part I, patient safety and risk management, some of this has to do with, uh, this is also pretty much pretty standard, the how we do it. And the double I, that's our 340B, that should be a 340B. I tried to find as many of the, I converted this from a Adobe, a PDF form to put on here and so, some, it made all those B's into eights, I don't know why. And I caught most of them, but I see I missed one. That 348 program should be 340B. Um, that's about our, our discount pharmacy. That's also pretty compliance language, pretty clear. There's no real questions about this. We, can, we maintain all of these things that's required of us. Kind of, I would say, some of it goes without saying, but some of it kind of can go without saying. Pretty standard language. But this quality improvement, letter C, this is where 
I would expect if we were are gonna likely change the language. This was designed about four years ago in partnership with Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless program when we were required to create a quality improvement plan when we were more considered ourselves as one agency. And um, now that that's changed, this document will change. Even their practices have changed around this. So the things that are in here about their quality program are no longer applicable as well. So this will all change. But suffice it to say that there will be some description of a quality improvement plan. Again, similar to what the HRSA language is, with Alameda Health System's ability to be flexible if they determine some things need to change within that plan. Are there any major changes that you need to um, different from Yeah, it's this entire thing. Okay. It's gonna, yeah, it, it's, just, it's just different from what happens. So the ambulatory, if you just start with letter I, I'll give some examples. An ambulatory quality management committee that will meet at least quarterly. So the ambulatory quality committee meets monthly and it's called the ambulatory quality committee. So we would likely even just change the names of it to what, what our standard practice is. There's no expectation that it would change. But again, what I would also say is that this is way too many details in the subrecipient agreement. All it really needs to say is that we have the quality improvement plan and that it will meet HRSA requirements. And then this really just gets this description that exists here now is more what standard work is, what the operations are. It doesn't need to be part of the subrecipient agreement. The um, such entity currently now exists. Uh, a quality improvement. Yeah. Okay. But it just looks different from this, and it's not happening this way. And this is where where my my um, aside from it just not happening this way, which is why we would want to remove it. Again, this this idea that we put something in a document and then need it to stay that way and can't be flexible about it. You want the document to be able to live as long as possible and spell out what you need. When we get into this idea of the agreement is, a sta is our standard operational work, that's not an agreement you need to make with Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program. They would monitor that we're meeting the HRSA requirement through monitoring, and they would ask for evidence of it, and they would say, what is your standard work? What does it look like? And we provide that to them in a separate document. It wouldn't be in the subrecipient agreement. The subrecipient agreement is about HRSA compliance and what we're agreeing to do to deliver the program. And so this gets into way too many details about how we do our work. Which is an it's just not document. It's, it's an operational document, it doesn't need to be there. If we were found to be non-compliant, they might require something in there that says, your quality program is non-compliant, so we need to tell you to do it like this to be compliant. Then they would put something in there that says, based on non-compliance, we need you to do this, this, and this. But again, it would be this condition for a temporary period while we were out of compliance. It wouldn't be in the subrecipient agreement. Even though it may not be in the subrecipient mm -hmm. agreement, I, I would like to know, um, just for informational sake, in part two. Yeah. Uh, what do they what do they mean by clinical enabling service incidents involving health center patients with a documented resolution of the incident? Uh, it, will it spell out at any time, or can we find it any place where we spell out uh, what 
constitutes an yeah, incident? I can tell you exactly. Okay. So that's all part of our risk management program. If a patient came in and complained, for example, um, about service that was provided, so let's say a patient uh, experiencing homelessness went to the mobile clinic and was not um, happy with the services that they received, uh, maybe they felt that the nurse practitioner provided the wrong medication, prescribed the wrong medication, overlooked that the patient was allergic to that medication, right? So it was serious, potentially even a serious incident of the provider provided the wrong medication, the patient already identified as having an allergy to. There are several things that would potentially stop that from happening, but again, it could also be brought up as an incident. It could even be that the provider themselves identified after the patient walks out the door that they prescribed a medication that the patient was allergic to. That's an incident. There's potential patient harm about to happen. Whether the patient identifies it or whether our staff identifies it, there's potential harm. It could be something as simple as a complaint or it can be that there's harm. Either of those would be considered an incident. Those incidences get um, put into a system called MIDAS or their safety alert system. Um, our staff are all trained how to enter those incidences into the safety alert system. And then all of those complaints or incidences are available in that system. If it happened at the Alameda, at the homeless health, if it happened at mobile health, we would know because it's marked as mobile health and I'd be able to find it. And then the managers of those uh, departments are needing to um, resolve those incidences. Sometimes it might be that there's a peer review by other medical practitioners to see whether the provider made the best decision they could with the information they had. Or it could be that there's some training that happens and follow-up with some of the staff because they treated a patient with harsh language and they get quick training on how we treat people with better language. Right? Like Lots of things can come up there. Some of them are complaints, some of them are medical harm, some of them are patients slipped and fell because there was water on the floor. I mean, like, it, it, mm -hmm. anything. It could be a patient compliments us. That could go into the um, there is, there is, of course, probably um, certain uh, provisions regarding how one documents such an incident, right? We do have actually policies and procedures that outline what the provision is. You know, like this thing under the minus four. So yeah. Okay. Yeah, I actually just finished the <laughs> training today about how to a reminder, and you know, so some of these things that how to do it. We talked a little bit about training staff. Um, doing these lunch and learns. Uh, similarly, there are a lot of these systems that we use. We have annual online trainings that all of the employees are required to go through, not once, but every year. And this is an example of one. The incident reporting is, um, is definitely one that we have to do every year. I just did mine today. Evidence that we do it. All right. Um, so this all still relates to that, um, the ability to maintain information. Uh, and this is again where, where for quality improvement, um, for example, in here, upon reasonable advance notice and during business hours, Alameda County Health Care for the Homeless Program reserves the right to conduct site visits, chart audit surveys, and develop clinical quality reports as needed. So I might suggest that that section, section Seven would go into under monitoring and compliance, like monitoring again, like that. It, it 
not necessarily relevant to this section. That's again about monitoring. How do they monitor and oversee the work that we do? If I may add one thing, Heather. Yeah. So understand that you know what we're going to do is that Heather and I we're going to review the surface and we're going to identify certain areas and present it to you know to the board uh, just so that we can you know identify these are the areas that we feel that they should be switched or completely deleted from the surface and agreement. And then, you know with the understanding that it is you know the carpet and board who will ultimately approve the surface and agreement towards the end. So yeah, you know the parts that Heather is covering. You know, Again, you know, some of them may be subject to change, but we'll get to see that before we even, uh, you know, put it on the table. And again, though, in, in, in that it's in agreement with Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program, their commission also needs to have agreement for the document to be how they also want it to be. So this is, this is the part where, you know, the stuff we, we went over last month is kind of we all agree that all has to be there. There's no problems. We would be in agreement. It's easy. Some of the other stuff might not be as easy. And we're, we're in November, and the new subrecipient agreement will be in starting in January. So the reality of the amount of time we now have, I will also say this subrecipient agreement was approved in July, even though it went into effect in January. So frequently there is this then negotiation period that can happen, and there's room for that. Um, and you have the opportunity to do it. And we'll make recommendations. Um, and we're gonna be working on this this month. And I'll be talking to the commission on Friday at their meeting as well during public comments to let them know what our organization is interested in. Um, so in what a subrecipient agreement should look like from our perspective. So we'll, in other words, we will have some time to actually draft our own, so to speak. You're going, to be draft, you're going to be given a, a draft document based on what we're seeing today and what we're telling you. And though, Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program has all of their own ideas on what it's going to look like. Then, between the two boards, you, you will approve it or not approve it. And they will either approve it or not approve it. And hopefully you'll be guided well enough and they will be guided well enough by their staff to say, we think this is a good agreement. We think this meets what we believe is the intent of the agreement and the HRSA requirements and the ultimate goals. We hope that they would agree that it, it does the same and then, we, and then we get it signed. You have the authority over it. <coughs> it's your, it's, what happens at Alameda Health System is your program. And, and again, as I, as I said before, this is new. It's, and, and might be uncomfortable for some of the people that are participating in the process. Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program, this might make them uncomfortable when we say, actually we want, we're, we're really working towards agreement, partnership, mutually beneficial, and, and recognizing that we are in compliance with HRSA we want the language to reflect that partnership and be less um, um, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, compulsive. compulsive, less compulsive. More a partnership and agreement. Yes, we have these goals, I think. And, and the reason for that is this understanding of when we have the same goals and we're working in partnership together, we're <coughs> able to accomplish lot, a lot more and then it's less combative, it's less you need to do this, why aren't you doing this? And more, why isn't it working? 
what is it that we're trying to accomplish and why isn't it working and how can we help you solve what's not working? And so we're looking, this is a basic document that kind of sets the stage for that. And I'm hoping to let, use this document to set that stage for that relationship now that we have two boards that are invested and interested in helping manage that relationship in a new way. It's my hope for you, but you know, you can throw it all out the window and say, no, let it be compulsive towards you. It all works for us, no problem. All right. Um, key management staff. Again, it is required by HRSA that we have key management staff that can effectively carry out health center operations. And then you'll have, they give a um, description. This is, this is where, again, for me to hear this must do, must do, is like, again, not an agreement. That's compulsory. Let's just, it's, we're, not, we're not disagreeing to do it. We're agreeing to do it. Can we change the language to reflect that we are in agreement that we will provide you with these things because this helps our health center. It helps us. It helps everybody. Can we make an adjustment to that? Um, and that? And that Alameda Health System does and will ensure what we do, we are in agreement that we want that, right? So that it feels less compulsory. Um, any questions? I will say that um, this key management staff, there was some conflict around that during the last go around. So there's always opportunities for differing ideas. This idea of the what makes, and you guys have heard about it, what makes an Alameda Health System Homeless Health Center director an effective director? The decision is that what makes an effective homeless health director is a medical doctor. And it's in alignment with Alameda Health System practices to have a partnership. I see. However, we'll just add there, what's in conflict about that? Um, contracts and subawards. Uh, most of this is actually, from, from our perspective, when we reviewed it, um, pretty um, uh, not very relevant to us because we don't contract out in subawards. So this is about if we have contracts and subawards that we're sending out, what do we do? And in here it has a little bit more about as a contract or subaward, what do we need to do? But that's not really what this place for the HRSA requirements is intended to do. So we would likely remove B, because again, B is about monitoring. In uh, number 10, B talks about we have to provide them access, and again, this is also repetitive. They've said it a couple times already, so we only need it once. But it doesn't need to be here, because what this is really, what this section is really about is if we were to contract out what would we need to do to be HRSA compliant? This document is creating us as a subrecipient in the past. Yes? Has there been um, a request to change the language in the past? You know, we've been using the same document for so many years and there hasn't really been, um, this will be the first year where we're requesting significant revisions um, to, the, to the document. And even this document is significantly different than it was last year. Because we finally kind of dug into it to see what was there, and we have a new understanding from HRSA this year about what we're doing as a 
as partners and as subrecipients and what a subrecipient is. So part of it is just about learning over time. Um, I was just wondering yeah. if there was any resistance in the past to change the language. Yes. And the reasons for that, but we don't have to. Uh, because uh, be I, I think the reasons tend to be fear around whether we're partners and whether we will do what we are needed to do if it's not compulsory. There's legitimate reason for that fear to exist based on past practice, but we're in a new place. And so we want to represent that new place. There is a board in place. We have governance. We're 100% compliant. We're providing all the information they need. We're doing what we're intended to do, and we have the infrastructure to do it. But say, I don't know, 10 years ago, that didn't exist. So there's history to compulsory language. And, under, to yeah, and understand that you know, the purpose of what we recommend is to ensure that the co-applicant board you know, can exercise without any undue influence the rights and responsibility in accordance with the HRSA requirements. That's what you know, I should see once we, you know, the recommendations that we'll, that we'll be making will be based on uh, us assuring that you're able to exercise that again without any influence. Yeah, that, I mean, that's, the, that's the main reason for this, this trying to change this language is now that we have a co-applicant board, you're the, the authority and you need to exercise it. And if there's language in this document that basically negates all that, then we're out of compliance. And, and what we need is partnership and understanding from Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program where they go, yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. That would be out of compliance. Your board needs to do that. That's, we, we can't do that. But again, it's a new relationship and it's, it takes some time. And new thing that you exist so I expect some <laughs> resistance um, conflict of interest that goes without saying collaborative relationships not a requirement uh, financial management and accounting system this is pretty um, say it's, it's pretty dry there are certain requirements that we need to meet in order to meet the financial management and accounting systems requirements we meet all of them. There's really a question about that and just describes a little bit about how we do it. And again, it's, it's mentioning again, the HRSA compliance manual. For the HRSA compliance manual, you have to do this. So we're, 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 we're also reminding anybody who's reading the document that these are required things. We can't not do them. This also helps leverage within our own agency. If our own agency says, we don't want to do that anymore, I would be able to come back to this document and say, no, 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 per the compliance manual, we're required to do it, we can't not do it. We'll be out of compliance, that would be a risk. And as a board, you recognize where those risks are so that you would also be able to leverage them. You, you also can't make a decision against HRSA compliance. And we give you lots of documents to remind you what those compliance areas are. So you don't accidentally make a decision that would throw us out of compliance, right? Like this document is also helping with that. And the orientation helps with that. And Alexander helps with that. I help you with that. We won't let you do something out of compliance. Remind you at every turn. Um, billing and collections. This describes again a lot about um, how we do it, and again, it's per HRSA requirements that we have clear 
registration eligibility, and outreach enrollment processes, right? But what those processes are, what those policies and procedures, again, if we're making distinct ones for people experiencing homelessness, would be under your governance. And so that's what we look for also. Is there anything in here that would be a little too um, operational and not more policy and governance? Budget, we do that, we submit it. Um, program monitoring and data reporting. This is, I made several suggestions as to some of the program monitoring and data reporting that was way up in the document. I just suggested if they want it, just move it down here. It's all part of their programming and monitoring. Um, it, it would all go here. And again, we have some very strong language. Uh, Subrecipient HS must comply with the data reporting requirements. I would just suggest that Alameda Health System agrees to comply. We are your partner. We want to do this. Right? I think language is important. You'll hear, have you heard that? Okay, probably said it enough. All right. <laughs> um, well, it makes a difference. It sets the tone, right? It's all about setting the tone. So we're working on setting the tone. Um, so this talks a little bit more about the how what the program monitoring process is that Alameda County Health Service Homeless Pro uh, Program has designed. So it's described there. I don't see any, don't see any problems with that. If that's, I, I might have some feedback about whether or not that's an effective way to do it, but again, they're monitoring us. That's their design. We are subject to their monitoring. We do what they ask us to do. In that case, we comply. It's their design. We are recipients of that design. Um, but it doesn't mean we can't make suggestions to make it better. Um, corrective action talks about just what and how, if something is out of compliance, how we need to do it. That's all fine too, like, yes, we need these things. Right? That needs to be in there. And then we have 17 board authority. This section will all change because you didn't exist last year. So again, we'll go to this section, you'll find significantly different because you exist, and it will probably look just a lot more like, HRSA requires that the board look like this, you must look like what HRSA says. Do it like HRSA says. And that's it. Like, I don't expect it to be much more than that. But this, this really outlines um, what was existing before and how we were making this transition and how do we do that. And it was a little bit about, hey, make sure you get your own board in place by the end of next, you know, by whatever date we require you to do it. And so it was put into the subrecipient agreement because we were out of compliance at that point. So it was appropriate to have these things in. We were out of compliance, you must do this. Okay, we will. And they put that in the agreement. But it'll look different. It's a lot of it's, it's all changed now, okay? Oh. Okay, any questions? It's quarter to seven. Y'all were afraid I wasn't keeping you long enough. Today we might just break all the rules. Yeah. Um, so I imagine that we might, my sense is once we change it and take some of this language out that they will ask for underlying documents that have language for them to be comfortable that we are actually going to be complying. So is it, are we basically going to be presenting HRSA's underlying languages? This is how we plan to comply with, say, Section 3 or Section 4. Is there going to be an operational document as well? 
Um, there are operational documents that do that, okay. that we provide to them through monitoring. Okay. So for example, we just are wrapping up this last monitoring visit, right? So the whole board authority, let's say that right here in our board authority section of the subrecipient agreement, it says that we're gonna meet personal requirements which state that X number are patient representatives, that you have representation from the community and you have evidence that they are exercising their authority to approve policies or procedures related. So that's what it says. Then they come and visit us and they say, show us your minutes where you had them approve the hours of operation, which we're doing today, right? So specifically they're saying, we wanna see evidence that your board exercised their authority to approve sites and hours of operation. And I go, that's great, we're doing that next month. Then we'll have the evidence. Show us evidence that your board is constructed, that's the bylaws, right? Show us evidence, that's the co-applicant agreement. So there are existing documents that they look at and that's what monitoring is. So we have to have those things to prove that we're doing what we're doing. And the HRSA compliance manual is very clear and gives descriptions and ideas about what do you look for when you're checking on compliance? What do you look for when you're monitoring? Do you have proof that this, this, or this is happening? These are the documents that would provide that proof. We all have access to the HRSA compliance manual. It's a public document. So we are all reviewing it. And you can trust that when we're in those monitoring sessions, I'm going back to the HRSA compliance manual over and over again to say, it's asking for this, here it is. And, or they're saying, it's asking for this, where is it? Here it is. Similarly, sometimes they ask for things that are not in the compliance manual. And sometimes that's where I say, no thank you. I try to keep that limited, right? They're like, that's not part of compliance. Let's work on that someplace else. You're here for this today, compliance. Let's get that done. We wanna talk about quality improvement and how we make it better. Let's set up a meeting and do that. Right now, it's about compliance. Monitoring is about compliance. So then we have things that, well, there will be those documents that talk about how we are meeting the HRSA requirements yeah. for clinical staffing. Yeah, so for example, you'll see, so um, throughout the year, during our meetings, I'll bring various documents to you also that says, okay, this is, I need you to approve this. For example, today, the sites and um, hours. Um, uh, I mentioned um, back here in our um, sliding scale fee discount program. This is a really important policy that is under revision right now, right? That you'll need to approve. And that's, again, the evidence that we're doing what we said we were doing. We have the policy. They would ask for the policy. And then likely they would say, okay, that's great. That's a policy. Show us how you use it. Give us evidence that you're implementing your policy. And that's what monitoring is. And that's when they ask for these patients, for example, who have been charged fees, I wanna, they wanna see that so they can see that we applied our sliding fee discount program. And they have, they have every right to ask for that, to do that monitoring, to verify. You say you're gonna do this, did you? Yes. You said this, did you? Yes. That's monitoring. Yeah, but they would need to know, the, they need to see the policy to understand what, what we're doing and then they would see the specific patients to see that we're doing it. Those two levels. 
Thanks for the question. Good question. <coughs> That's what I asked about financial yeah. management mm -hmm. and accounting systems. Mm -hmm. Primarily, um, going forward, that's going to be uh, eventually when all the um, officers that are required to be appointed are voted on in terms of position, uh, medical director, uh, finance, um, financial operating officer, or something, or chief operating officer, and those particular type of offices. Um, certainly, uh, at some point, the, the, the finance officer would be responsible for producing um, not the, we would vote on the budget, but they would produce actually um, budget reports and crunch numbers for us. So we won't have a finance officer. So, so for now, the way our files are arranged, the only two office positions that we have is, you know, that of the chair of the board and, and the uh, vice chair. Uh, you know, although the board has some discretion to establish additional officers, you know, they will have very limited jurisdiction as far as um, um, their ability to produce a yeah. yeah. I think, Mark, um, if I could guess at sort of your question a little bit more in detail, is there are practices that we do, so there's specific work that we need to do regarding the budget and finances in partnership with Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless that we submit to her each year. And so you would you would be as a group reviewing those documents before you get submitted. So so at the so when we do our UDS report, for example, our the, the um, Alameda Health System Finance team provides the backup documentation and gives us the figures for things and like here's how much came in for your health care for the homeless patients that you saw this year for from Medi-Cal, from self-pay, from all these things, and they fill in the document for us. We would be showing it to you, say this is what it looks like, and that's part of what makes up our annual budget reporting and what you see, both income and then expenses, and a little bit of what I showed you a couple months ago with the budget. And that's created with significant support from our finance teams. I don't, it's not, it's not me. Oh. I mean, some of it's me, but a lot of it's Any other questions? Well, uh, something unrelated to what we're talking about. It's Our not on the agenda. <laughs> bring that up in board member comments at the end. All right. Unless you can relate it to the subrecipient agreement. All right. Uh, no, I can't. All right. So then at, at, at board member comments, we will be open for okay. you. All right. Um, so we will be moving on to our next item. Um, uh, so it's the approval of the health center sites and hours of operations, which we have on Oh, thank you so, so much. I, I didn't have no idea where to talk about this. We use these at the Oh, this is, that's, so that's just, um, the, those are the mobile health. Right. That's different. Oh, what okay. we're doing today is all of our sites. It's going to oh, include yeah, mobile yeah. health. So you're you're approving the big health center. So we've got. I know we sometimes we, we talk so much about our, our little program, mobile health, because it's so important to us. But the big health center, the whole health center, includes these sites. And so the first.
first there was a memo that was uh, first attached that talks about your authorities and responsibilities, and among those is the approval of the health center services and locations and hours of operation. And these are also, these are the, they're spelled out in even more detail on that five A and B. And so on the scope, on those official documents that HRSA gets, we'll have, we have listed our <coughs> ambulatory health care services and administrative <coughs> office, Hayward, Newark, Highland Wellness, HCP, same day clinic, our mobile clinic right here, Eastmont Wellness, and Highland Wellness. Now you have three things that say Highland. That's because the way we needed to do our scope, there are times when we have to identify very specific locations and rooms, and they get added on sometimes at different times or different years. And we can't just include them in something that already existed. So Highland Wellness existed, then we added on Same Day Clinic. And Same Day Clinic was very specifically only over here on the fourth floor in HCP. Then we added on the rest of HCP, the rest of the fourth floor and the fifth floor, and we did that when we added on additional services, primarily those specialty services, which I can't name, because there are so many of them. But let's just say hematology, oncology, endocrinology, dermatology, neurology, some other ones. Orthopedics. Orthopedics. Yeah, that was on okay. seven. That was on seven. That was that was got included here. Orthopedics, podiatry, wound care center. Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of them on there. Um, and so you'll see over here then what's primarily happening at all those sites, right? This is administration. This is a primary care medical home. Primary care medical home. This is both specialty and primary. Primary care, urgent care. That's our same day clinic. Here's our mobile health. Here's primary care, home, uh, medical, dental, and specialty. So we have dental care here, primary care, and specialty here also. And then you have our hours of operation. So you can see Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. And we've got like, when is clinic running? There's when does clinic happen? When's the first appointment? And there's when do we open our doors? So in some cases, we're opening our doors at 8, but the first appointment's at 8.20. Some cases that's really defined here. So uh, at Hayward Wellness, 820 is your first appointment. The doors are open at 8. 820 is your first appointment, so we put that in there. That's when the clinic hours are. And they're open also on Saturdays. So you see this is our Saturday-Sunday column for these spaces. This is our Monday through Friday column. You'll see our mobile clinic. We've left very vague, partially because the hours are different, potentially any given day of the month. So it's really hard to describe that in a small space. So we describe that as, we're gonna be delivering services a minimum of 30 hours per week, and it's really uh, varies, and you've seen some examples of what those monthly schedules look like. Yeah? Yeah, under mobile point one, um, um, the services provided, yeah. uh, what exactly does it mean by enabling? Enabling care could mean um, referrals, it means um, making sure that they're signed up for financial appointments so that they can get um, <clears throat> health insurance if they're uninsured, yeah. right? So they're like making the financial appointment. Um, uh, translation can help enable the patient to get services. 
Transportation, we're providing transportation. Actually, all of them provide enabling services. Like, enabling isn't all of them. You, they get that regardless of where they go. But uh, it was spelled out on this document that they provided to me, so I, I left it up there. But enabling services everywhere. Kind of what happens in registration with community health outreach workers, with medical assistance, it happens on many levels. Patient service representatives, all of them help to support our enabling services. Highland, uh, the health advocates also do it. So it's, it's anything else the patient needs to get care. Are these hours based on what, so when the buildings are open or when or patients have requested as the hours that they would like? Or because they, they look great to me, but I'm wondering how do we know that they are meeting Yeah, so we've gotten feedback at various times from patients. Um, there are some patient councils that will say, hey, we, we need more. Um, there are some that are really specific needs of patients, specifically here in Highland Wellness is a good example, where you'll see that there's both Saturday and Sunday pediatric clinics here. And that's because there are certain requirements for a well, for, a, for a, a visit with a patient who's been born. You have a new baby, we have to see them within a certain number of days and we wouldn't be able to do that. Babies get born whenever they want to get born, so we couldn't do it if we didn't have hours available every day of the week. And so that's why that's every day of the week. There's a specific need. There's a requirement to see that baby within a period of time after they're born. Um, they're very limited hours. You see 11 to two on Sunday. So the idea is we're making available sometime. We can see you today because we have to. And we're trying to make it at a time that's reasonable. Right, um, But yeah, a lot of it's based on patient feedback. They need Saturday hours, they need some evening hours. You'll see, for example, at Newark, Monday through Thursday, they go till seven, but Fridays they go till five. So they try to expand their hours based on patient feedback and patient needs in their community. And the 30 hours of the mobile, is yeah. that something that is based on what we can afford to provide, or is that is 30 hours meeting the need of? It's about what we can provide there are a lot of challenges especially with the mobile clinic getting it to and from places getting the services that it needs in order to run it needs to be filled up with gas every week and getting and you know you might think what's the big deal it needs gas okay is a 40-foot RV that requires diesel and it has two gas stations it can go to one's in Hayward one's in Dublin anytime we're going to get gas we learned it the hard way, trust me, my bank account felt it. But uh, we were running out of gas and we're like, that, it wasn't the card, it wasn't working at the places that we could go to. So we're like, what do we do? Just get gas. Because uh, we need to go, right? Like we need, we're out. We need to get gas now. And so so there's, there's these restrictive things. It needs inspections, it needs an inspection next week. We just found out it needs an inspection and it's gonna be off the road for three days. Well, so we put in black bags, so we're still seeing patients. We go to places where we can go to their offices and see them. But these things all interrupt our ability to provide care on a mobile clinic. And as much as I was able to stretch the hours of my staff and say, yeah, we've got evening clinics now, they still can't you know, function more than a certain number of hours per week. I, can't, I, can't, you know, I don't have enough staff. And the, and the main limiting factor at this point is probably our nurse practitioner. Right? Like, I, can't, I can't work her any harder. If we were to get a second practitioner though, 
that will change things because the rest of the team kind of has a little bit of different flexibility. I have two drivers, so already I can break them up and get the van there and limit their hours. Um, when we have our medical director, great advantage of that medical director is I'm really getting excited to put them on the van. Oh, go work van. And then that'll, that'll open up some potentially more than 30 hours a week. So this is the minimum. It's not, it's not um, always as low as 30, sometimes it's more, but sometimes it can be less based on these other things. Um, can I ask a couple things? Yeah. Um, one is, um, I noticed there, um, like Highland Wellness, East Mount Wellness, there's women's, this is women's women's. Uh, it, was that, is that still tied directly to what you were talking about in terms of uh, pediatrics? Oh, the Services. women's, yeah, yeah the, the need for women's is a little, is, can frequently be different too because we have um, pregnant patients who may need to come in and we need to make available more time for them yeah. depending on what's going on so that it's not always, you know, they don't need to go have emergency services. It can just be a clinic. I know staffing is an issue, but you know what I'd like to see, um, unless there's something up there that I'm not seeing. Um, I mean, maybe it's up there and I just don't know it. Um, do we have a specific program that only deals with women? Just general women issues for women? Yeah, yeah, that's the women's clinic. In that's each the of clinic. these, in all of these places, there's specifically women's clinics. Oh, oh, that's what this is. This is specifically the women's oh, okay. clinic. Okay. So there's adult general medicine. No, there's adult general medicine, which can be any adult person, gender, all genders welcome, adult general medicine. There's pediatrics for babies and people under 18. And then there's women's clinic, which is only for women. Okay. And often they're OBGYN, but not always. They have other issues as well. Okay. Is there a way to address the nurse yeah, there's a medical director coming on board that we're going to hire. I got plans, but then Wanda's already said, then where am I going to go? What am I going to do? Don't worry. I've got so other so work. So there's a potential that that number is going to go up once the It probably won't necessarily go up on this document. It would just go up in, in practice when able. I mean, already if you were to review uh, what's on the mobile schedule, if you, if you um, Feel free to look online at our current mobile schedule. I don't know that this one is accurate anymore. It made a lot of changes recently because of the inspections and we had to update things. But again, the what we put in there on that schedule is to know when the first patient can come in and when the first when the last patient is we're seeing. But for example, on Mondays, um, we say clinic starts at two. We arrive at one, clinic starts by two for after setup, and we're usually there until eight. But seven is the last, like we're not starting another patient after seven. And so the number of clinic hours may be more than you even see described there. And mostly because we're using this for patient communication so that they know don't show up at seven and think we're gonna be able to see you. Like we've already have our last patient in the door then, you need to come earlier. Um, and the same reason we describe it as until four we're there till after four all the time, but we're not we're not taking any new patients after four or we wouldn't be able to leave. But to say that there's more need than we're able to fill, absolutely, and we're determining that now. When we were um, prior to Alameda Health System managing mobile on its own and given the hours that we were going out, we were not turning patients away uh, previously, and we are now. 
And I think that that's because we've changed some of our hours and practices and we're now in there when there's the higher need. And there's just the reality that we can't see more than eight to 10 patients a night. We, we just can't, we, limited space is also an issue. Even if I had two providers on it, that there's no place to put them, there's only one exam room. Do we coordinate with the other uh, mobile units, like Bruce has one and you know these different places have one? Do you, is there any kind of communication, coordination, so you don't end up at the same place on the same day at the same hour? Yeah, we don't go to the same places. Um, Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program I would say has the most visibility as to where everybody is. We're providing what we refer to and what Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program has asked us to do, which is shelter health. Um, so we're not going to encampments. Roots more oh, okay. is going to encampments yes. and they're, they're doing different work than we are. We're going to shelters. If you were to look at the places that we go to, they're all places where there are services being provided by an organization and that's called shelter health and this is the gap that Alameda County Healthcare for the Homeless Program has kind of identified with us to say this is where we want you to be serving patients. There are other programs that'll serve those patients. Those are the street health teams. So they are developing new teams that are these street health teams and that's where they're coordinating and understanding who's in which area at which time. And we've, we've kind of been carved out for us as the shelter health where we go to programs. They're not all shelters. Um, HEDCO isn't a shelter, it's a program. We go there because people experiencing homelessness hang out there all day. Um, Cronin House is a, is a recovery center. So we go to places like that as well that they've identified as, hey, these people can't leave the site. We need to right. go to them um, in order to make sure that they're getting access to care. Did you have something you wanted to say? Was that a hand? It's sort of a hand. Tell me. Um, so that I'm Highland Dental. Oh, right. It's not on here yet. So they're not approving that. Do you expect them to approve that? Oh, I just. It's, it's, on, it's on your scope. Um, oh, this was the back, I'm sorry. So there's one more, apparently. I sent a more recent one. <laughs> I, well, can we can I count that as part of time? So Highland Dental is a, another site. It went, it, it's done, it's added? I thought it was still in progress. Uh, We're good. Yeah. All right, well, I can add that one next month. Yeah, so we, we may it's have not to, on yeah. The, so you'll be able to remember what's presented I can only today, prove, yeah. And then the airport. care would initiate that process so Alameda Health System would say we need to make this change um, either because they need to make the change operationally um, they're developing a new site they need it to be added they want to reduce they need to reduce hours because operationally they can't manage it and they would they would make that change and then they would be bringing it to you explaining saying, hey we'd like to make this change this, this is why we need to change, and you approve this change. Um, I mean, I, I want to open it up to the board. I was going to suggest because we uh, don't know sort of the underlying, if there is any way that there is a, a change in need, and if we approve them for the whole year, and we don't really 
I would say I don't know that there's a mechanism. Usually, the identifi identification is happening. It can sometimes be at the site level, like yeah. that. Newark is getting feedback that they need a change, and they would be getting it directly. It wouldn't come here. Could we do? Uh, is it is it even possible for us to say have a survey that goes out in six months to either the providers or the people who are coming in and ask, are these hours working for you? Is there a change that would work? And I mean, I'm just throwing it out if there's a if that's even worthwhile to do, or if you want to suggest that, just because it's our first time approving it, and it just, yeah. just I would say operationally, that's not possible. Yeah, that's I mean that that the the operational undertaking of getting feedback from patients around the sites and services is, would be a major undertaking. And understand, is, you know, what's being presented here is, is you know requires a more factorial assessment, and this is based on our internal assessment. This is what. Our organization believes is you know, meets the needs based on the infrastructure that what we have, including financial infrastructure and operational infrastructure. Okay. Is that case seven have um, any like security like that, especially for? Um, insurance? Oh, um, if you where's the my case seven um, right here? Yeah. So yeah. So for the. Because, I don't know what the, varies by clinic. It's one of the reasons yeah. it says, the, 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 so I have the 7.30 a.m. start time showing that, yeah, there are some specialties, but there are so many specialties and they're so specific that I get on this document, what I can tell you is generally we're working operational hours. The earliest time an appointment is likely to be at 7.30. The latest possible appointment is likely 5.30. There may be some later ones for specific clinics, but they're not, they're, they're not spelled out because it, there are just so many of them. So we're giving you the blanket like, here's our big picture, <coughs> minimum hours of operation. There may be some times that go outside of that. Because at any given time, a clinic might also say, hey, we need to run an evening clinic because this yeah, has come up, and they do it. Yeah. And it's not like it's going to come back to you for approval to have run that clinic right. when the patients yeah. need it. I was kind of thinking about that with her question. <coughs> that as a need comes up, each site can, can make those changes, right? They can. They can. And they and they would yeah. if they operationally. I mean, a lot of clinic like women's clinic runs late all the time. Mm -hmm. like. There's what we consider those those hours of business that were open. But a patient walks in and we need to see them and our staff are here, they stay. They make sure that that patient is stable and able to be cared for, especially in places like women's clinic. Um, so, so it's more that these are the hours of appointments. The reality of how long people are here is different. And sometimes clinics run late. So even that a patient has come, we're running late. Your appointment was at four, and it's already five because we're running late. We're not saying you have to go because clinic closes at five. The work gets finished, but the appointments. So think of it that way. The, the appointments are existing between these hours. 
And the after hours needs are, there's a separate document that's talking about. Mm. So after hours, um, yeah, that's separate. After hours is a different part um, and, and is not included here. After hours, uh, all patients are able to either visit any of our emergency rooms for after hours care, and also there's a phone call that they can make to any of their primary care clinics where they'll get a call back from a physician. So people are on call to receive calls, and it goes through an answering service. And so any patient who's a primary care patient, they, they call their clinic, and then there's instructions on the phone that tells them what to do. And it's not like a different number. They, it's like you call your clinic, and then press one to connect to a doctor, because it's after hours. Like the after hours message comes on automatically if they call their clinic to give them instructions. They're gonna, like, they're gonna leave their name and their number, physician's gonna call them back. And this is tested by HRSA when they come to visit. They call that number at 1 a.m. or 2.30 in the morning if they, feel, if they call it at all hours. How do they know that's the clinic number? Where did they get that? It's on all of their after visit summary sheets. So any document that they have going outside of our clinic has that number. someone that's never used it before. No, this is for current patients. No, for somebody who's never been to Alameda Health System, they'd have to go to the emergency room. Usually they'd have to walk in. Because we'd have no documentation. The idea of the after hours care is continuity of care for a patient you already serve. Yes? Will you let me know when we, uh, when we hit the comment or I'll tell you it will be after your Lucia, your board, your chair will tell you. Right now your your chair probably wants to say is there a motion to approve the hours of operation and sites. I have a question actually before yeah. just kind of follow up. So I understand the like the operational challenge of like creating some sort of survey or something for patients, but um, I guess I am wondering what it looks like to get to request feedback from the sites on what even what they think the hours are. Um, I, I'm just thinking like from my experience, people tend to get comfortable with like just the current status of things, right? So yes, ideally for staff, you know, eight to four thirty or eight to five is let me give you an example uh, of same day clinic. <laughs> same day clinic is kind of the place where we go, listen we needed, additional, we needed an additional service. Patients weren't able, based on access to our clinics, which is what most of this is built on, access to clinics. How many available appointments do we have for people? And are they able to see us? And are they able to pick an appointment that we have offering within the third one that we offer them? Will one of those work? So that's what we do, right? We're looking at when's the third next available appointment? Are there enough appointments available for people? Are they ones that they are choosing? We determined that we didn't have enough. And so we created the same day clinic where you could get a same day appointment at, at Highland, regardless of which of these places you go to, Eastmont, Newark, Hayward, it's kind of the catch, the catchment for anything like, I can't get what I need. Okay, same day clinic, same day. And we were running seven days a week. And we backed down and we're now only serving patients on Saturdays because there was no utilization, very low utilization on Sunday. There was no education, I don't think, either. That was one of the problems that we discovered in K7, the patient advisory committee. 
patients that ended up in the emergency room were very unfamiliar with the same day clinic, you know, and they used the emergency room as their yeah. almost primary care, you know. And people still do that. Uh, yeah. People still do that. But we spend a lot of time at same day clinic, and the same day clinic was open for seven days a week for a long time mm -hmm. before we determined that utilization was low and operationally we could no longer support without having the patients there on Sundays and so it got reduced. And so so what we're looking at when we're when this is when we're figuring out these hours is what's the utilization? Are patients able to get in? Do we have enough appointment times available in a reasonable amount of time? Yes we do, then we're good. If we don't, that's when these things open up. That's when we have, you know, we create additional appointments where we've identified that there's I don't want you to think that there's no mechanism, right? Because there is, there are many mechanisms. There's also, patients are surveyed regularly. Mm -hmm. We have patient surveys. They come through phone calls, they come through mail, and we get feedback from patients. Um, that's our CG caps, right? And that's what we do in K7 too. We have our own little surveys that we pass out every so often. Yeah. Heather, I, um, I completely trust that, yeah. that this there's underlying information on all of this. I think it's more that we haven't ever done it before, mm -hmm. yeah. so we're a bit wary and hence all of those questions yeah. are coming up. Yeah. You guys are pros at this, but no doubt about that. Um, we're just, we just, I, that was really helpful to understand that yeah. it's coming from the fact that there was a low utilization on, on these days and therefore. So I, yeah. so I think maybe we're getting caught up in the weeds because we're not maybe explaining. I'm not explaining as well. I just want to know if we, if there's ever a need to make a change that that information filters up to us, mm -hmm. and if there's a way for us to know that, yeah. and would it be worthwhile for us to review that in six months' time, because all of us are nearer at this. If you yeah. think that if we wait a year and these hours will fit the needs for the next year, then, then I mean, it satisfies what I need. But if, if you think that there may be a doubt that it might be helpful to review it in six months based that you have, then that's, that's all I'm trying to say. I wouldn't expect that in a six month time there would be a significant change. Mm -hmm. Because operationally, in order to make significant changes to operating hours, there needs to be infrastructure to do so, or a change in infrastructure. So just and like know that this is what we have. This is what we're working with. If, if there was determined a need and there needed to be a change, there would be a lot of work that would go in place before the change then would actually even occur. Right. And the fact that this board exists is new too, so this mechanism for well, where does it go and who needs to see what is also very new yeah. for ambulatory, right? So, so this idea that, okay, we need to bring it back around, how do we bring it back around is probably some next steps. How frequently? I go back to the AAQC and give this feedback, like, okay, so this was reviewed, this was approved, we need to provide um, communication between the Ambulatory Quality Committee and Operations Council that kind of knows this stuff and you guys, yeah, so that you have that confidence. So we'll build in that infrastructure. Does that make sense? Yeah, because it is, it's, it's, it's new. It's new, yeah. I just had a question. Uh, for as long as I've been coming to Iowa, I've never known about the same day clinic up until <laughs> last month. It was yeah. literally last month I discovered it for the first mm -hmm. time. And I've been coming here since 2012. That's, yes, that's very, very, very true. Yes, yes. I had no idea that program existed. <laughs> Maybe you didn't need it. 
you were able to see your primary care provider when you needed to. Yeah, that was that was. So that's, yeah, that's a different that need, I guess, the mm -hmm. patient uh, informing patients of their facilities. That so that yes. would be a different need. That because yeah, I'm just uh, commenting that I wasn't aware of it, and I've been here a long time. I come here regularly, and I never heard of the program. Right. So maybe there is a way to so improve patient that, information. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Nor is Alameda Hospital. Yeah, I was going to ask Alameda. Um, and nor is Fairmont Hospital, right? So remember, Fairmont your scope of work, your the scope that is the Alameda Health System, system. Health Center, Alameda County, Alameda <laughs> Health System Health Care for the Homeless Center, <laughs> is ambulatory care. The emergency rooms come into place only in that emergency care after hours continuum, but they're not in your scope. They're just like a service you access for your patients if you need to, but they're not part of the scope. So you would never approve their hours, their operations. You just know that you have access to them for after hours care. But your scope is just those ambulatory sites. to approve for the addition of the next steps that you had suggested? My instinct is no. My instinct is that, and, and Alexander will help me here, I'm sure, but the motion is to approve the sites and, and this, scope. This will require a separate motion. Yeah, okay, so I mean. And, and the, but with the clear understanding that what is the second motion? Right. So what? why don't we give with the first one, which yeah. is, you know, so we'll need a second to approve uh, the site service hours and operations. The health center sites and hours of operation. Yeah. That's what you're approving this. Yes. Site, health center sites and hours of operation. Okay. okay. Thank you. And then we have all in favor. Oh, all in favor. Aye. 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 Okay. So now there's. Are there are there any um, ob objections or abstentions? Okay. So now there is a new motion on the table. Um, I like your wording on it that we would create uh, a link between providing the information from the ambulatory quality care mm -hmm. up to the to the board for the next uh, the next time we review the hours. So um, this is where I'm checking in with whether it, yeah. re it even requires action or, or um, whether it requires action. The idea that we would have a system in place to communicate back to the board. So one thing you could do, I would think, is uh, re uh, you're requesting an agenda item. Yeah. You're requesting that as a regular part of our agenda, we want feedback maybe quarterly around uh, operations and sites yeah. so that we know that we're, we're doing it. And I don't think that it requires a yeah, motion. It's just, no, no, a it's, just it's, it's a request for information. Yeah, and you put it on the agenda regularly. Yeah. 
and then you're getting the information. And then what you have is the opportunity, I think, with that is to create an action. Um, if we think we need change. Yeah. If, yeah, because then you're getting the information, you're finding out you need to make a change, then you're gonna do an action. I don't think that this is, again, and I don't think we do actions that aren't on the agenda. So that's the other thing I'm, I'm going, there was no action related to this on the agenda, so you couldn't act on it. But I don't think that it's a required action. I think it's more. Maybe we can just decide here if we want quarterly or biannually. Didn't she just say though a few minutes ago that when the sites realize that they need additional time, they request additional time automatically? Is that what she said? That they know what they're doing, what their needs are. Yeah, and I, but I recognize that you, since you all and your authority approve that. You want to know when that's going on, and you want some way to gauge, are they being responsive to the need? And so it is appropriate that we set up a system to get that information to you in a regular way, to hear feedback, either in a report from the quality committee. It's just that we haven't done it yet, right? New board, new system. Um, so I know instinctively that it happens, but we don't have a mechanism currently, because we've never had a board have to approve them, I wish to communicate that need to you because you have you have the authority to approve them, and so to have to feel comfortable in your authority, you need the information. So we need a way to to, to regularly provide that information. So we, we need to we'll need to figure out that system, but I I don't know that it's it requires action. I think it just it's it's about figuring out what the role of staff is to provide you information so that you can create action. Because the action you would take is to change. Trauma the team to the ER hours. level two ETA four minutes. So operationally, there's a lot of analysis that would happen in the ambulatory leadership team to determine a change. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I mean, how do we, I guess we don't need a motion, we just request the information at a quarterly, quarterly. Does that make sense? To the agenda? Or yeah, you quarterly? just want, you want it added to the agenda quarterly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is quarterly too soon? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that you'd need it that often. The re I go back to the reality of how often this would ever change based on, it's yeah. like the budget's set. Yeah. The, yeah. So there's a little bit of that going on. So it might be that, it might even be annually. When we know this is coming up for approval, mm -hmm. there's a certain report that you're getting the month before so that you feel like you're making an informed yeah. approval of the sites. Yeah, I think so part of it is just designing what is your, what's the standard yeah, work we're doing and how than, are we doing yeah, it? Yeah, whether we're ongoing. There's something in place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. right. yeah, yeah, just as long Does as there's something sense? in place. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I think, the, I think that's more you're giving staff direction. It's not so much that you're making an action. You're giving staff direction on 
how to support you so that you can make informed decisions and actions. Exactly. Is that right, Alexander? Yeah, well, unless you tell me that you're approving the service sites and hours contingent on you receiving that document, and that will require an amendment to the, to the action. But that's not my understanding. My understanding is that you're approving it, but you're, you know, in addition to that, you're also asking that moving forward, you get a report. That's before you existed. Now, we will move forward and there will be new processes. Good? Wow, we made it till 7.30 today. Congratulations, y'all. Okay, but wait, we're almost done. Uh, is there any public comment? Public I had a question. You're a board member comment. Oh, okay. No public comment? No, there's no um, So, co-applicant board member comments. Is, on, is there a list on the mobile health ban for wheelchair? Yes. Oh, good. Okay. Any additional comments? Mark, this is your clue. Any additional comments? Oh, uh, I'll talk to the chair. Okay. <laughs> Just a, and a quick reminder for the ad hoc committee for choice of medical director. Do you guys want to just hang out for a couple minutes? Do you guys all remember that you're on the committee? Yes. Okay. You want to adjourn and I'll turn this off and then you guys that can keep talking. Be one of my okay, and so no further comments. So we'll adjourn the meeting at 7.32. I'll make a motion that we adjourn the meeting Right. I think you're allowed to adjourn with that emotion, actually. Technically, you're, you're the chair. You can adjourn. <laughs> 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 <laughs>